tonight. Welcome to the Enterprise. The 24th century begins in a two-hour world premiere television movie. Go to yellow alert. Hostel is now beginning to overtake us, sir. The classic Star Trek legend continues. With an all-new crew, an all-new adventure, Star Trek, the next generation. Strange new takes. I'm your host, Notch Carnegie, with me to try humanity are Rudy Kasbaker, Max, Emily Bowen Marler, Adam Bowen, Diana McPhail. So we have Strange New Takes. It is a Star Trek themed podcast. You may have heard of it before from our from us, just just from us, from ourselves. Um, we are currently in a series where we really we rewatch all the pilots of all the different Star Trek series and today we're super excited so excited to bring you our strange new takes for the pilot episode of TNG Encounter at Farpoint which is technically episode one and two of TNG and before we start a discussion we want to encourage all of you to follow us on social media at new takes on Facebook Instagram and Twitter in fact, that's at strange new takes. Yeah, strange. What did strange. I say? No, at new, at new takes. takes. I'm, I'm sure they're great too. But. <laughs> is, this first, is this your first day recording? Yeah, whatever. I've first never done job? this. I've never done this podcast before. Never, not even so, one time. Yeah, it's, it's follow so follow them us, and follow us on social well. media at strange new takes mm, on it. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Woo! Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and after you do that, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do go ahead and tell your friends about us. Mm-hmm. Your real friend. <laughs> and if you really like what we're doing, uh, even, if you, even if you don't, um, do give us a five-star <laughs> rating on iTunes. Um, that's how people um, um, can find us, right? Um, higher ratings show up higher on search results, so five-star ratings really help. Uh, do spread the love. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I need to worry, warn you guys about is that we are going to go full into spoilers on this uh super old episode of of star trek uh however i would forgive you for not having seen this one before because we all know the rule for when you watch tng if there are no callers <laughs> you turn that off so yes. here we go let's <laughs> let's go full spoiler territory and uh get started mm-hmm. all right as mentioned before this week we're talking about the pilot of star trek the next generation episode one and episode two of season one encounter at farpoint this episode first aired 28th September 1987. It was written by DC Fontana and Gene Roddenberry. And I'm going to have a story about that writing credit after we have our strange new take. So keep that in mind. So, all right. The episode summary. Um, Captain Jean-Luc Picard leads the USS Enterprise on its maiden, Enterprise D, on its maiden voyage to examine a new planetary station for trade with the Federation. On the way, they encounter Q. An omnipotent extra-dimensional being who challenges humanity as a barbaric inferior species. It is made absolutely clear he is not Trelane from the original series. He is totally not Trelane. Don't bring up Trelane. It's not even close. <laughs> no, don't. You're just... W- w- how so could you weird. even think of that right now? Um, Picard and his new crew must hold off Q's challenge and solve the puzzle of Farpoint Station on Deneb 4, a base that is far more than it seems to be. 
All right. Are your strange new takes far more than they seem to be, dear co-hosts? <laughs> All right. Um, I've got a, an episode-based strange new take mm-hmm. for us here today. Um, if you're listening out there, uh, I assume you're listening on your phone. Just just pull your phone out and, and Google this shit right now. Um, so Farpoint Station looks exactly like Isengard. Oh. And you even have a creepy wizard dude living there in the form of Groppler Zorn. And I, it's crazy. I, I want to do a little digging here and see if uh, Peter Jackson and company maybe took a little inspiration from this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess my my real strange new take about this episode is that I think I'm, I'm going to go toe-to-toe with people who say that Picard's writing is bad in this episode. It might, it might be coming up. I don't know if we've got some notes. But similar to Max... Don't um, you dare. Don't you dare! Right. <laughs> um, but similar to Max, I, Grappler Zorn, again, I think it's just because this is such a side character. I feel like he, he... His costume in this episode is probably the same costume that's worn in like 17 different Xena the Warrior Princess episodes as well. Um, and I think because Star Trek aired in, in Boston on UPN 38 when I was a kid, that's where all like the Xena and like the really like shitty episodic fun fantasy adventure TV shows happen. And I feel like they just shared costumes between them because I've, I think I've seen his costume 17 <laughs> times before. So shout out two shout outs to Groppler Zorn. And the first two <laughs> it won't be the last. <laughs> it will not be the last. Nice. And uh, yeah, for, for my strange new take, uh, this episode gives us our, our first confirmation that the Enterprise has a physical network network of typewriters that are powered by steam. This is why it totally made sense for uh, the captain to say that we need to have no electronic messages, but that we still need a way to send printouts to every single deck of the ship uh, mm-hmm. simultaneously. So there, there, was no, uh, uh, there were no plot holes there. It's Mm-mm. just that there's this steam network of typewriters. That's how tech works. It's, it's yeah. just, it's magic. <laughs> I'm going to ask, guys, have we done away with um, general strange new takes? It's only episodic ones. No, I mean, no. I think okay. you can do what you want. Yeah. I, have, I have one that I was actually going to bring up last week, but... Uh, um, Oh whole... yeah, I remember this. I've been waiting <laughs> all week with bated breath. Yeah, you, you yeah. did, you did cancel it mid mid sentence. So so yeah, no, I, I don't know if we talked about it, but we if we haven't, um, there's the first of first happening in a few days on another planet. Um, first powered flight on Mars, um, mm. April eleventh. So first um, airlift oriented powered flight. So they're gonna try to fly a helicopter on Mars on the eleventh of April. It's called Ingenuity, um, and there's uh, an awesomely diverse uh, crew. The project leader, her name is Mimi Ong, um, chief engineer, love his name, Bob Balram. Yeah, um, uh... Awesome guy. And Sounds like a Star I, Trek character. Yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> uh, I almost feel like I should post a picture of his in the notes to, so, so you guys have a visual. Um, um Born and brought up in South India in the villages, was um, uh, enamored by the Apollo era, wrote to the U.S. consulate to learn more about NASA, and they sent him a whole pamphlet, uh, like an envelope filled with pictures. And, um, you know, uh, it, that's where he's, he's come from. He is now that's at JPL so and lead, um, lead chief engineer. The man who wanted to fly on Mars is what they're calling him. That's so cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Sounds like All the right. name of a Star Trek episode. And yeah, um, and with this episode, 
I've watched this many times over the last 20, 30 years. I've always wondered when the uh, this orbiting alien is torturing um, that lead bandy person, is he like tickling him like painfully or is that like real pain? Because the way he screams, it sounds like he's just being tickled. He's like, no, stop, please stop. <laughs> like if you're in real plane, you're just screaming, right? You're not talking through it, but... Uh... Mm -hmm. It's been a question of mine for decades. <laughs> Whole time. Well, um, oh, my strange new take. Uh, uh, Emily's what? actually next. Uh, oh, is it, is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, all, we're all looking at the notes. Like, oh, we have a are list. You, are, you reading, yeah. are you reading the notes? Here's the thing. That's <laughs> probably because I'm a woman. And so I'm massively sexist. I'm a woman. And in this show, mm -hmm. you know, like they have the men lead, even though the women are outranking them, but they mm -hmm. still have the men. Anyway, no. <laughs> Um, no, that's not what my strange new take is. My strange new take is um, why the hell am I 43 years old and breaking out? This is really stupid. It's garbage. It's absolutely It is total garbage. garbage. And I, I think it's got to be stress from the possibilities on the horizon of returning to quote unquote normalcy after a year of pandemic living. But anyway, it's horrible. And I'm just, I'm noticing it so much here on Zoom. Anyway, I want to like oh, yeah. do the thing like this so y'all don't have to see it. Um, I'm sure you all don't notice it. We don't it, notice it at she, all. She's reenacting. Uh, she's reenacting. You don't look uh, like you're 43. Right you don't look like you're breaking <laughs> out. You know. Your skin is beautiful. <laughs> anyway, um, my strange new take from the episode is that this episode is made retroactively better by the presence of the series finale, All Good Things. Yes, totally. because yes. Yeah. 100%. the way the callback that they do to an encounter at Farpoint in All Good Things is so awesome, and I've I've seen that within the past couple of years, so it's mm -hmm. kind of fresh in my mind. But like as I'm watching Encounter at Farpoint, I'm like, yeah, it was so cool how they did the callback and totally in All Good Things. So so that's that was just kind of I thought hmm, that was that was good. It made this episode better, not all of the episode, but parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now well, it's your turn now. <laughs> my, uh, my, my strange new take was going to be about Lon, but I'm going to leave that to later. Uh, all I'm going to say is that my favorite webcomic, Poorly Drawn Lines, created a map of the ocean, and it's just a blue square. And I think that's pretty profound if you really think about it. So uh, maybe you need some container ships and some boats on there. But other than that, <laughs> what else do you need, right? It's oh a pale God. blue square. All right. Well, uh also, on this episode, you know, last week we were talking about how groovy the animated series pilot was. And I would argue that this episode of Star Trek is as... It, 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 I don't know what the word would be for the 80s, but it is exactly that to the 80s, what uh, Far Beyond the Stars was to the 70s. You have space malls. Like, yes. can it, does it get more 80s than <laughs> space malls? No. Kids on a TV show um you know lame jokes uh it's it's you know deanna troy's hair which is incredible and it's yep, so the 80s. perm the oh, perm so uh although actually this is the only episode in which um it's her marina sitters wears her real hair oh, what? Uh, <laughs> all the others they have an attachment and her actual hair oh wow oh, they have like like okay really like, yeah like extensions or something yeah uh, i don't know exactly what what the fake part of her invoked but it it, it was a combination of both at least. All right. Now, let's jump into in-depth episode discussion. And, and we're going to start with story and writing. And I have a, a bit of information to share on the background of this episode that might help us think about the rest of our discussion, which is that this episode, they couldn't. the, the network wanted a two-hour pilot. 
and Gene Roddenberry really didn't. Yeah. And so DC Fontana was the person who was brought in to write this episode. And Mm -hmm. she, I believe, produced an initial cut that was between 60 and 80 minutes long. And Gene Roddenberry decided that he was going to uh, take on personally the writing duty. And there's some like conflict about why he did that. There's there's some people who say like, you know, he, he wanted the writing credit. And DC Fontana, as a result, was had some reduced like royalties and things like mm-hmm. that. Gene Roddenberry himself says, hey, I had a great idea and I know how to make it longer. So, you know, this is my show. So I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, but we leave that to mem- your, your reading on Memory Alpha. But the thing to know is that this episode had 30 minutes, at least 30 minutes added to it later in, tr- in terms of its runtime over mm-hmm. and above what the original story was supposed to be. And mm-hmm. the whole cue part of yeah. this episode is part of that addition. Um, yep. That makes so, sense. So, so anyway, yeah. as we go through now and discuss, and we've, uh, the notes have been split to, to discuss what's good about the story and writing, what's bad about it, uh, perhaps some stuff that's really ugly. Um, uh, it says space gorefish, jellyfish near ugly, and I'm just going to say they're beautiful in a different way, okay? So I'm sorry. Everyone's beautiful. Whoever, whoever put that way. down, you take that back. <laughs> Um, but uh, let's talk about the good of this, this story and writing. What did you, what did y'all find that was good here? I think the big win here is the characterization and the building of the characters. I think what's so cool. And like, we were talking like briefly about this before everybody else showed up, uh, the people who were here early slash on time. So Emily and Max and I were talking about, um, the pilot episode of ER and how a lot of pilot episodes of different shows, like don't understand who their characters are yet. And that and the, are unable to really express that beyond like really rote exposition. And one of the things that I really stood out to me from the beginning is basically like everyone is introduced in a way that makes sense to their characters and also like at a time that makes sense. Right. So like we learn about data being an Android early because of a question that Picard asks and we learn that. Troy can read feelings, but we don't know like her whether she's full Betazoid, half Betazoid, whatever, until like later in the episode. And we learn about Worf, and we learn about like Tasha Yar, and like all these things that come out really organically in the story. And then we get to like the the crew point like two point We have Riker, and we have um, Doctor Crusher and Wesley and Jordy, who are already at uh, Farpoint, and like meeting them separately from meeting the rest of the crew means that you you have different time with each character and you learn mm-hmm. things through just the dialogue and the circumstances that you need to know but also are not like here's this thing about androids that you really need to know and so what i love about this this episode and i think this is like the big standout for me is that the the show trusts us to be intelligent it trusts us to be able to read things from each character and like understand where they're coming from and it gives every character time to like be built into a full person who is more than one thing. And so that for me is a huge takeaway of like the positive positive nature of this particular episode. And then the characters are just consistent for the rest of the series too. So like they already know who they are from the very beginning and that's really rare in a show. Yeah, the the thing for for me is it it's it's like uh this pilot is the first pilot since the cage that w- was aware that it was supposed to be a pilot yeah. like uh where no man has gone before and it was just like uh there's this kirk guy and he's cool or whatever and right. like everyone else is like just these random characters mm-hmm. and uh similarly with like the animated series like 
I don't, I'm not going to do a pilot for you. I'm just going to like throw you straight in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I, I, I did like how uh, like different every, every single person seemed from everyone else. And, mm-hmm. and actually like, I know that there's maybe some grading on, on how Picard was in this episode, but I, 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 I appreciated the a more like awkward and yes. um, distant Picard and it's actually pulled it we can I mean we can talk about this when we actually do the pilot for Picard coming up but uh, I think that Picard connects better with uh, uh, a encounter at Farpoint Picard than with maybe like the the line must be drawn here this far yeah, no farther yeah. uh, Picard mm-hmm. like this is uh, so yeah, I I think that they've they've done really good callbacks even into future series. Totally agreed. I, I think yeah. the Go ahead. just on, on the characterization real quick. I think your point is a very strong one in comparison to the other because even the cage didn't really tell us who the people on the mm-hmm. bridge were. We got some idea about the friendship between Pike and the Doctor. Yeah, that was about it. We didn't right. really find well, out anything it, about number one, except that she was like, you know, the, the most experienced. But that's the mm-hmm. only other character yeah. where I remember some like something of learning something unique about the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, though, I mean, I will challenge the point that some of the, these characters stayed completely consistent throughout. I think that there were some changes. For example, Troy just seems to be like, you know, unable to hold it together and and is just portrayed as somebody who is hyper emotional all the time mm-hmm. which i think changed to becoming yes. aware of emotion but not like breaking out into tears every five right. minutes and i think another thing that changed significantly within the episode was how data was even portrayed because the first scene he's mm-hmm. like he's mm-hmm. one of those aliens from mass effect who have to and and that's the old republic two video games have have alien species where they announce their like oh no and that's the old republic it's a, it's a droid but um which say like inquiry and then they say the question mm-hmm, yeah. they like yeah, the give you the, they, they give you the emotion and then they say it in a flat voice that was data's first scene and then he changes and even smiles and like there's a moment where he and yar like do like a double take with each other which is like why would you do a double take you don't you, you've mimicked emotions very well data <laughs> like uh so i i would say that but that's normal right like this mm-hmm. is this is stuff that they're trying to figure out about their characters they learn mm-hmm. more they change they evolve which is true. I think with Picard, it's not really that he's written poorly, that his lines are bad. I think this is... So I was listening to the panels. I think it was the first contact they lost. Yeah, I forget. But um, I forget who it was. But one of the, the the TNG cast members was talking about how... It might have been Patrick Stewart himself. Because I think it was Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, and Will Wheaton were the three on the TNG panel. They were talking about how it took a while for Patrick Stewart to become friends with the rest of the cast. He came mm-hmm. in and he was really aloof and kind of like a dick mm-hmm. to everybody on set. And I think that's what I'm seeing on the screen where I'm seeing a, just a lack of like chemistry between the actors when he's because I think he's written fine and I have no problems with the characterization necessarily. I just don't see like that the magic isn't there when he's talking to Will for me or when he's like um, and I, I when he's talking to Beverly, I think is the most obvious where you're supposed to think like there's something deep here i just didn't get it and this just might be how i'm receiving it versus how others do but i think that that's what we're seeing is just that patrick stewart and the other actors had some tension between one another uh for the first season yeah and i think a lot a lot of that was i don't know if it was intentional but it was it was they were trying to show picard as an island in himself from from an emotional standpoint right and how he's trying to reach out to different people and all of that um, I am super biased about this pilot, so anything I say will 
will be colored with that. It is one of the most impressionable TV I have watched ever as a mm-hmm. kid, right? Yeah. So it has strong emotions in me and, and, you know, in my interest in sci-fi and space and all of that. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, but I also agree that it, it was, it, it covered breadth and depth well. There was a good balance between the two. A lot of a lot of series, even today, don't do that. I mean, there's been a few Discovery episodes where they try to go too wide or they suddenly go too deep and then it's mm-hmm. confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the pilot, you understand not just the characters, but you understand Starfleet. You understand the Federation. You mm-hmm. understand that they're, you know, the boundaries of the Federation. Um, uh, Deneb, you know, Deneb 4 is the planet. Deneb is, is a star system 2,000 plus light years away. Um, the Federation's trying to reach out. There's negotiations involved. Uh, there's there's aliens that are not a part of um, um, the Federation. And then there's these beings that are super powerful that have never been encountered before, right? That are preventing humanity from expanding. So there's so much going on there and it's it still connects somehow. So mm-hmm. I, I really like that. Uh, again, I will say that anytime I see um, anything now that is more than 10, 15, 20 years old, I feel we've come a long way <laughs> in, in, in being more appropriate and, and equitable. I, I, I also got that sense where the women on the bridge crew are, are portrayed as people who are not in control of their emotions. It's either mm-hmm. extreme sadness mm-hmm. or it's extreme anger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, in mm-hmm. terms of Tasha Yar. So that was, let's just, let me just say that we've come a long way. <laughs> Leave yeah. it at that. Um, yeah, yeah, like the the most even keel is like maybe Beverly, but like it's still like a oh, but she's a mom or whatever. Yeah, like it's exactly. the so as a mom, other, yeah. I have to throw this out as far as characterization goes because I made that. So I I appreciated that there are more women on the bridge than mm-hmm. there were in the original series. Mm-hmm. More and in so not just so twice as many women who are stationed on the bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Three times as many women who are part of the regular cast. Obviously, that changes after this season, but mm-hmm. um. So and and part of that was because they felt that there were too many women, and so they were okay with getting rid of one of them. So, um, and I know there's other stories that go on behind the scenes mm-hmm. there, but I think they would have gotten. I think they were looking at getting rid of Deanna Troy, um, mm-hmm. but Tasha Yar or uh, Denise Crosby decided to leave anyway. So there were there were a lot of things happening in the background, but um, I I. Also, I did find some fault with the characterization of the women. I felt like they still really didn't know how to write women. But mm-hmm. what stood out to me is that Gates McFadden is a badass. Yeah. Because even though they don't know how to write women, she knew how to rectify that. And she found ways to play Beverly Crusher that kind of flew in the face of that. And so mm-hmm. I really appreciated mm-hmm. um, how she portrayed that character. And I, I mean, she got essentially got fired after the first season because she stood up for herself mm-hmm. and stood up for mm-hmm. the way the character was written. And, and yeah. Maurice Hurley didn't like that and said, it's her or me. And they said, okay, well, uh, bye Gates. And then, you know, Patrick Stewart was part of like really, um, was instrumental in getting her back after, yeah. you know, at the beginning of the third season. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, I just, I really appreciated, she was the strongest of the three and I felt like mm-hmm. they, her her characterization stayed steadier throughout the series, mm-hmm. whereas I uh, not yeah. I totally agree with what you're saying about uh, Deanna and the emotions and I just she Deanna doesn't 
later in the seasons or in the show, she doesn't feel the emotions in the same way or express Mm -hmm. them. Whereas in this, and I think maybe this episode kind of showed them, oh, we might need to do this differently. (laughs) Like pain, terrible pain, Pain. loneliness. And, you know, and I've always made fun of those scenes and poor Marina Sirtis. I mean, I think she got bad direction actually is how that's totally the way it came out to Mm -hmm. me. But she's never, she's after this, she's never been able to sense or have a premonition about Q appearing, right? She senses it here. I don't think it's happened in the future anywhere. But mostly we stick that on Guinan, uh, which who is not a character right. Right, exactly. Right. Go ahead. I was just going to ask Max about what he thinks about the characterization. So. Well, you know, Emily, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned um, Gates McFadden, because I, I was actually, I realized that that's kind of a gap in my my Star Trek knowledge. I, I turned on this episode, I hadn't seen it in quite a while, and it was like, honestly part of me that was expecting to see uh dr pulaski in there and i was like oh wait crusher is mm-hmm. is here like what's what's going on um and and i totally agree that um crusher is just an amazing character mm-hmm. and uh, it's a shame that she had to sit out a season um but i'm glad she was able to to make it back in um i guess you know i i agree with most of what's been said so far i'll just throw in you know one other piece here about sort of the uh, emotional reactivity um I don't think we can talk about that topic without also mentioning our good friend Worf, uh, who wants to, you know, kill or attack basically any threat that presents mm-hmm. itself. And it was kind of interesting. Um, I could, I, you know, my reaction was like, okay, I, I see why you can't have Worf and Tasha Yar on the bridge at the same time, because both of them are basically saying the same thing. They're both saying like, we have to fight, you know, like we have to attack. Mm-hmm. There's only one option here. And, um, Orfly, Tasha does say Orfly. Yeah. Orfly. Mm-hmm. Orfly. Anyway. She does, she does say that, but I, she also says fights. I mean, they're, they're both, I think like, you know, kind of, uh, hot tempered, um, mm-hmm. you know, fighters basically. Um, and it it doesn't really work for me to have two people like that on the bridge at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I am a Tasha Yar fan. You know, I, I would have been fine, you know, finding another spot for Worf somewhere else maybe. But um, yeah, I, I think they moved in a good direction there. Mm-hmm. I, I wish we had had some of Tasha, like some complexity to her mm-hmm. background where, you know, we could have, it wasn't just kind of a height. Every time she spoke, it seemed like it was a heightened sense of either flee or fight. And it was just like, she wasn't given any sort of like, lines where she contributed to the plan or like we mm-hmm. learned about her past like or there was there was no like why is this person the way mm. they are right. and maybe that that comes later right like yeah I, the I, rape I, gangs on her planet like mm-hmm. they talk about that on yeah. several episodes yeah. yeah right and and so we don't but there is none of that in the the pilot necessarily right. so <clears throat> i think some of that would have been nice but um i do want to move us along to talk about the music we, we can get back to the characterization in just a second <laughs> because we're, i am going to talk about it again when we talk about the bad so um because i i do think that there there is a little bit one character that maybe that we need to talk about whose inclusion maybe was unnecessary because of the 80s uh, anyway <laughs> But I, I do want to, uh, the music was a lot of mu- movie Star Trek music, right? Like mm-hmm. this was, this was strongly influenced by that. Um, and I, I take it everybody liked it. I thought, I mean, I thought it was so refreshing after the last yeah. pilot we watched. Mm. And I was like, yay, the music is so good. What, so what, was, what struck me was the, the theme, like the initial theme, the, um, the how the, like the, the violin trills were like, intense in the beginning of the like the, the opening credits and i was like 
I was like, are, are speakers like more like sensitive than they typically are? Like I'm hearing these trills for the first time and how is it? And like, I feel like the, if you were the violin player on that first episode, you'd probably be really bummed that they re they like re-recorded it with like toned down violin solo. Um, one of the things that actually was to kind of stuck out to me and like, this is part of like pacing too and part of like the rest of the storytelling, but like as much as the separating of the saucer was like super cool and as much as I love hearing the, the theme at, at all times the fact that they're like this time it's like this is actually really dire and it's the worst awesome. case situation of Come all time on. and like really bad things are happening but like this really cool triumphant song like I, it, it was listen i agree it's a great pornographic shot i think it's incredible i think you have to you have to really like there, you have to really represent how great and sexy your space your, your spaceship is but at the same time you're like we could die in this encounter and this Diana, is actually really dangerous you gotta, you gotta get out of here i thought that part was awesome <laughs> this is how we're gonna break this up. episode had some amazing enterprise porn in it and i enjoyed every second but of like it. i think well, I, I, i'm not, I'm not anti <laughs> enterprise porn but i'm saying that like there are things about the enterprise porn there are times like hey, how how would you like a two-minute scene where will Riker eases this enterprise back together for no real reason i would like a 10 minute scene where <laughs> will Riker eases the the enterprise back together it just, it is a complex procedure i know well, I, I thought it was I so hilarious come on apollo 13 to... everybody's so wired i understand no, it's cool i get it i do i get it but at the same time like we're telling a story and if we're like and we're going to take about 15 minutes out of the story to look at how beautiful our <laughs> ship is because nerds it's like i'm a nerd too i get it i do but like maybe this is not the time to do that you i will say I for, for me a lot of the problem okay. is that it so the the ship porn or whatever is great but we, so much of that sequence is just staring at our actors who have been giving no direction except no to direction. just stare blankly <laughs> into space and yep. like not not like like Colmini is not concerned at all about what's happening. He's just like, is like, sort of like, just like really a, doing his own thing. Slightly <laughs> smiling to himself, like while this is happening, like whatever. And yeah. And then we'd like go back to the ship and it's just, it's the most boring Star it's Trek. so boring. Ever. <laughs> but I also, I have to say, I was really disappointed. Like I didn't quite remember how they did this. I was super disappointed that Picard asks Riker to manually reconnect the ship you know the star drive to the saucer section and then all Riker does is order other people to do it like I'm like that's that's not what because I'm like maybe I'm like I thought maybe they were going to show what a good pilot he was because you know they try to establish that Mm -hmm. later in the series but no no he's just good at giving orders which I guess that's what Picard wanted to see but I just I thought that was a big letdown another thing about the music that I really liked was the 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 complete domination of synth music like Princess Bride level synth which I was super (laughs) into as well I was like oh this is the 80s. This is incredible. I love this. Like, I don't know. Something about just like completely unabashed synth music for no real reason. I'm like very into it. I think it's probably because of the Princess Bride. I, I think if they made this again, the Farpoint Station would be like the techno rave from the Matrix and you'd have like Daft Punk type people like mm-hmm. DJing over there. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think all of us probably watched the remastered version, which yes. means that the intro music was changed because the previous, I believe the intro music early on, the ship flying through didn't have, it's like, frum, like gunshot sound. It had oh, yeah. kind of like, Sew, if I recall correctly, because I remember when I did my first TNG rewatch, I was like, 
what is this? Like, I'd only watched, like, episodes from, like, season three to seven. And mm-hmm. then watching one and two before. They changed the, the intro, like, the spaceship sound in both season one, season two. And then they, I believe they finalized it in season three. But don't, mm-hmm. don't quote me on that. I know that they changed it at least twice. But the remastered version, I think they take the credits from the the, the final version and then mm-hmm. apply it in here. Yeah. Um, oh. I... I think going beyond the music, you know, we were talking about shots of the Enterprise. I think the model is great. I think this is this is now with us looking at it from the benefit of um, HD. And, and maybe this is a little bit more production than story and writing. But I think the way that the ship is written is having families on it mm-hmm. and being more than just, you know, it's a 20-year mission is was kind of the conception mm-hmm. of this show rather than a five-year mission. Although I don't know if they mention it in, no, in the show, in the even. pilot itself. Yeah. So it's more of like a generation ship than a military ship and i think that change is something that i appreciate and i think they did a good job of designing a ship that looks gigantic and holds those many people mm-hmm. although they seem to just have no organization on like getting people from one place to another when the saucer separation happens they're just everyone's like ah! <laughs> running around <laughs> and, but but I, but i like that there are, are civilians on this ship what do y'all think mm-hmm. about that or maybe ex- except one except one is it, is it Wesley? Oh, Are poor you... Wesley. <laughs> no, no, we're not to the bad yet. I'm no, not going to okay. tell. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think what's cool about it is that it does increase the level of risk, too. Like, we, it's, it's not that I don't care about, you know, military members, because I do, but I think, like, what does change the more civilian life you have, and this is true of Deep Space Nine, definitely, too, th- then you have more, there are more people who are not directly responsible for, or, like, affiliated with the mission they're just they're there and that the duty of care that the, the captain has is a lot greater because they're not military um because they are civilian and so i think I, I like it a lot i will say that like i don't see i mean we, we hear a lot about the civilians we don't necessarily see a lot of the civilians ever and i mean this episode is just the pilot episode so like you know there, there's only and there's they show this pilot episode does the most anyway so it's not like i'm, I'm criticizing the pilot episode but um i will say that it it, it we don't really beyond this episode get a lot of civilian life on the enterprise anyway so it's like it's a cool idea that i think is really important but like the use of the civilian lifestyle doesn't make a whole bunch of sense yeah i think i mean we we, we do have several uh storylines about people like raising their kids on the enterprise Mm -hmm. there's also like uh uh that we talk about the schools every every so often and and i think at the very least it it adds a um sort of a uh, an ethos to the ship of like th- this is for diplomacy the ship is it's not a warship uh and so and like even when we are in danger it's it's sort of a um I, it feels like they're trying to consider more people than just like the however big the this the crew without the families would be mm-hmm. um I, I something i've always wondered is is if the enterprise e is is the same type of ship because it, there's some like real bad stuff that they that they get into like the uh, the decision to like uh, uh hit the um Shinzon ship head on yeah like right, did, did right. we kill like a whole bunch of children in that right. or like well yeah. and to pursue the borg back to earth right yeah I mean, that that's not something well, you do with families yeah. on sh- i don't think it is i think the sovereign class is more like a. I mean looks more militaristic in yeah, its design. yeah yeah the sovereign class i'm pretty sure was designed as a military mm-hmm. ship unlike yeah, the galaxy like, class mm-hmm. yeah well i think i think Again, I'm biased. I think it's the best ship design in in Starfleet that that I, oh, I have that you know like uh, the D D Enterprise D. 
even within, right, even the bridge design, the seats and the, the consoles and all of that, it, it still feels very relevant if you look at it today in, in 2021. Um, so that's good. I do think they try to check a box with, uh, you know, the family side of things and they don't really infuse that later on. But I think they're trying to make a point that exploration is not just militaristic, right? Mm -hmm. Like no, definitely, yeah. there is a scientific aspect to it. NASA is not a military setup, right? Like there's military aspects to it. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe the people, it's interesting. It's an interesting point. The people who are not in, is everybody on the ship affiliated with Starfleet in some way or the other? And then the others who are not in uniform are like, you know, plus ones or family. Or are they people who are, um, you know, truly not affiliated with Starfleet mm -hmm. and also on on Starfleet ships? So totally. I, I mean, that's yeah. that's that's, maybe that's interesting. I hadn't hadn't considered that before. I kind of always assumed that they were plus ones, but mm -hmm. uh, I don't yeah. know. They're just prisoners. <laughs> no, I think, I think one of these prison families. <laughs> right? There's one other one other point I'll make, which is I think that the presence of these families, I don't think they actually used it, but writing Picard as a guy who's dedicated his life to the uniform and has no family, that contrast between the presence of civilians and having a captain who has that mm -hmm. blind side mm -hmm. is a good another good piece of writing. Although I think yeah. to, to move ahead beyond this pile, I think they could have done more with that before, totally. you know, the album scene in Generations. They had Picard Day. And, I was, yeah, uh, thank and, you. And then they had the Picard Day banner in Picard. So right. they, there you go. There you go. Yeah. That's the most important thing. The presence of families sets us up for the most important holiday of the this year. Picard Captain Day. Captain Picard Day. So there you go. So um, we are, I think generally this, this episode was much more inclusive than we've seen Star Trek being in its previous incarnations. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about mm -hmm. the costumes in a minute when we talk about the production. But... Um, I think it's it's right from the beginning that that mm -hmm. inclusiveness starts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think what's I, what's cool. I'm sorry. Then this sort of speaks to characterization is like that Picard in the in the beginning scenes. Picard like goes around and asks everybody their opinions before he makes a decision, which I think is really cool and is very different from um, Kirk. Where Kirk is like my one best friend. Tell me what tell me what I want to know. Yeah, yeah. And everyone <laughs> else go fuck themselves, but I want I want to know what my best friend thinks. And like this, he he does go around to every single person and get their opinions, which I thought was really cool, and like a really good example of the kind of captain that he can be and often is. Um, so I thought that was really cool as well. Sorry, I don't like how you off. Well, no, I, I mean, obviously, I, I really appreciate the change from where no man has gone before to where no one has gone before. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I also appreciated the way, like, so I feel like there's, like, while there's a hierarchy, the way we were talking a little bit about the bridge, uh, the bridge is not designed in that hierarchical way, mm -hmm. quite the same as the previous iteration of Star Trek, just because we have three people sitting equally mm -hmm. at, the, you know, where the captain is. Um, but I also really appreciate it. I need to find it. Oh, so um, we talked about how um, both Tasha and Deanna are very emotional, like the way they mm -hmm. portray them. Um, you know, you see both of them with tears in their eyes at different points. Although I th I am pretty sure there is a shot where you see Picard with tears in his eyes. Yes, but with, um, with a, a crusher. Yeah. Yeah. And so so but they um, what I really appreciate was the way Picard um, spoke to Tasha. Tasha got was really hot headed about something when they were on the battle bridge mm -hmm. and he turned to her and he um, encouraged her to reconsider her advice rather mm -hmm. than saying, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. I just appreciated mm -hmm. the way he addressed her. I thought that mm -hmm. was um, not the typical way you would see men portrayed 
uh, talking to a subordinate, you know? So anyway, mm-hmm. I just, I thought that that kind of showed us that we were getting introduced to a different kind of captain. I agree. I, th- I think what's cool about this particular show, and like we see this in difference of the way that like Worf and Wesley are treated as characters and the way that Troy and Yar are treated as characters. Like when Worf or Wesley do get elevated, everyone's like, oh, you dumbass. Oh, shut up, Wesley. Oh, Worf, you're also hot-headed or whatever. And there's like a, a little bit of a, a disrespect for the the characters and the way that they feel. What I think is cool is that realistically, like uh, as far as I know, there's not a lot of disrespect for Troy and Yar in the way that they do. Like, yeah, they might be like over-emoting or whatever in this episode. And like, this is what ladies do. Ladies feel things. But no one's like, shut up, lady. You don't get to feel things. And so, like, I do think that while there's a lot of room to grow <laughs> in the way you write these, like, you characterize your female characters, what I do appreciate is that their feelings are treated with respect and also are treated as being powerful in a way. Like, hey, listen, I respect what you're saying. And, like, we actually, I need you to, to feel these things so that we can figure out what to do. Like, I, I do appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's like the, even though the the writing has, has problems, the, the characters aren't, like, aware of that to some degree yeah. so yeah they're, they're treating it as it, it is it's it's normalized within the episode in a way that it was not mm-hmm. at all in the original series and what and, i liked about this episode too i'm so sorry Nash, but like i think everyone is is characterized as being intelligent and they all notice things separate of each other and they cross-reference with each other so like i think mm-hmm. I, I thought it was really cool we see that um at Farpoint with Riker and Crusher, like one of the first times they ever talk to each other and they're both noticing things and telling each other the things that they notice um, and they respect each other too. And I think that's just a really cool way of introducing a cast where like it's a cast of people who are intelligent people and who are working together and they might have different ways about going about the their ultimate uh, observations but none of them is like you're dumb even wesley who is annoying is not is, is an intelligent character you know what i mean and so yeah. i think that's been really that was really it's really helpful in this where it's not like captain kirk is the only smart athletic one and then bones is the sarcastic one and the other one's the smart one who isn't athletic and then that's it and that's the whole crew <laughs> you're like well cool i guess you know i i do want to take a second though to to recognize that this was made in 1987 and we are saying these things are good but at this at the time it wasn't like it wasn't the equivalent of an interracial kiss in the 60s let's put it that way (laughs) i think that that we are acknowledging that good changes have been made since the 70s but i think for the 80s uh, someone will have to correct me. I was one year old and not in America, so I wasn't watching American TV back then. But like, to me, this might have been a little bit forward thinking, but not a whole lot. Like we we had seen strong women on TV in the eighties in America by then. What I will and- say, what I'll say, I think it's sort of going back to the, to the strong women story that we're talking, the conversation that we had with um, Satie, is that like there, like the strong women thing is also also a trope like there is a trope of the strong woman who is like xena warrior princess who i love don't get me wrong fucking love xena but like she is the quote-unquote strong woman and she's like one of like she's the only one who gets to be really complex like even gabrielle doesn't get to be complex in Uh, xena like i don't i don't mean like emotionally strong i mean like strong as in a characterization as someone who's intelligent someone who has like decent line participates in the plot so like a Mm. strong character like you know part of the cast like the fact that these characters exist and the things that we have described them as Mm -hmm. i'm just saying like this isn't like us saying 
this was amazing for the time and Star Trek really, you know, because Star Trek has this reputation of really cutting a swath through history. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I'm all I'm saying is it wasn't quite as out out of the, the like realm of what was normal back then. I don't know. Then. I mean, I, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree I, and I disagree. I would say that like I see TV now that treats women worse. That's made in 2021. Yeah, but, you but, know what and, I mean? I guess, like, but, the, but the point is, is that uh, in the... 60s trek was way far beyond in in certain areas mm-hmm. uh, obviously not with the sexism no. thing but uh <laughs> the uh, and and i think deep space nine also was like pushing the envelope in, in certain ways but like for instance like i don't feel that um uh much of the modern star trek it's at best been catching up to uh how television has been portraying uh different characters mm-hmm. other than like the white man who's like uh uh the head of the show or whatever like they've been catching up and i I think uh next generation was like maybe slightly ahead in some ways but like uh it was more in line like not just saying it's more in line with other things that were happening already Mm. um and was not as in like impactful a uh maybe like a morality show in in that way I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there's I a, I, I, I agree and disagree. I was, again, I would say that like, there's a power in treating something as being normal too, and not being like, see this cool thing where we treat people oh, like they're sure. equal and like, see how equal, you know, you see how egalitarian we are. It's like, this is just a normal thing that we do all the time. I think there's power in that as well. So I'm not, I don't disagree with you. I'm not saying like, you're wrong completely, but I, I just think that there, I think maybe there's, there's more, there's more power in having there be more examples of this kind of equality. Um, yeah, yeah, you know. no, it, it is good that it exists. My point was simply that, like, we need to acknowledge that Star Trek's reputation sometimes is a little bit beyond itself. Mm-hmm. And especially yeah. when we when we look at what happens beyond this point. Yeah. Um, like Adam was saying a second ago, like things start to actually fall backwards yes. a little bit where Star Trek begins to fall behind the envelope a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to, as we go through these pilots, I want to kind of try and, and see where we are in relation to where Star to what, what else was on TV and what Star Trek mm-hmm. was doing. I think with that, I think maybe it's, it's a good time to move on to some of the things that we didn't like as much with this pilot. And one of the things, the, the kind of segue here is that start, one of the things that Star Trek did, because it is happening all over other TV in the 80s, at least it's my impression, is have a child on the show. Mm-hmm. The, the boy genius, Doogie Hauser, Doogie Crusher, uh, <laughs> Lieutenant, uh, shows up. Boy, doctor. And he is a genius. He impresses the captain on the bridge before he gets shouted <laughs> off the bridge. Shut up, and I like Will Wheaton. I think he is a wonderful human being. He has contributed great things. I think he has some interesting things to say about his um, presence in the show early. I think he goes gets a lot of like... I think there's been some negative emotional stuff that's happened because of the way his character is received. And I want to acknowledge that. At the same time, I want to also acknowledge that I don't connect with Wesley Crusher. I really, <laughs> by the time I tried to rewatch The Next Generation in the past, I really was like trying to be like, okay, people have been hating on Wesley. I haven't watched as much of Wesley. I'm going to see what happens. And I just, I don't know what it is. I, I, I can't, the, the know-it-all smarty pants who sneaks on the bridge is just not like, I, I, I couldn't get there, y'all. Like, I just did, don't did, like Wesley did, Crusher. I apologize. Did any of you watch TNG um, with Wesley when you were Wesley's age? Yes, yes Rudy. Yes. There we go. Thank mm-hmm. you. So for me, it it made me feel like I was Wesley. And maybe that's a little lame, but I, I associated with him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. 
So I was like, wow, when Data lifted Wesley off the ground, I'm mean, off off the whatever. Oh yeah. And he fell down somewhere, <laughs> right? And I wanted to have and you know, I mean it's not like I wanted to be awesome on the bridge, but it was cool to know that somebody knew mm-hmm. stuff and he's not polite, he's just flowing overflowing with information, right? So I mean, I've I I've I've not liked some Wesley episodes, but I've really liked some Wesley episodes. Mm-hmm. So, um, I n- I never got the the Sheldon hatred. Of, uh, with, um, <laughs> I'm I'm Wesley. totally with you, Rudy. I um I watched Next Generation, uh, as a kid when I was about Wesley's age, and I loved the character at the time for all of the reasons that you're talking about. Um. I guess the other thing I would throw in here is I feel like, you know, at this point, we're still kind of in this era Mm -hmm. of science fiction that is still like pretty heavily connected to like early Mm sci-fi. And and, and there I mean really like uh, books and and stories, you know, sort of like the Robert Heinlein era Mm -hmm. of science fiction. And if you look back at that, um, there were a lot of stories written, I think, for young kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a lot of stories where you had, you know, uh, the young boy like living on Mars, for example. Um, and so I think that trope um, maybe kind of lives on in the form of Wesley Crusher. And um, mm. yeah, it's not something that necessarily bothers me as much as I, I think maybe it does some others. I think one of the things that it, I, I, I do think Wesley is annoying, but I also like I, I, I hear what you both are saying and I, I, I do understand it. I like, but I also think it, it, it's a, a, a continuation of the writers not being necessarily good at capturing the voices of the people that they're writing. I don't think any adult really knows how to write a 13 year old kid. You know what I mean? Especially, especially adults who don't have like any writers who don't have 13 year olds themselves. Like Wesley being like, my mom's really uncomfortable around men. She doesn't know is like maybe what an eight year old would say. And an eight year old would absolutely say that. But like Wesley as like, seems to be a generally well socialized 14 year old is not going to say that shit. Cause that's super embarrassing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think, I think p- there's, there's very real, uh, lack of ability of different writers of different identities, writing other people of other identities. Like it's mm-hmm. very, very clear, very well documented, but nobody knows how to fucking write kids. <laughs> and yeah, so there's, I, I, there's, I, I, I feel like the, the one ex- exception that I have, that I have in my mind is like, uh, the, the, his dark materials. Oh, I yeah. feel ca- oh, captures, I mean, captures so like good. thirteen year olds and whatnot incredibly. So good, yeah. But like, that, that stands out. Which as just being makes me angry to watch other right, Exceptional young adult. <laughs> what I will say, about, what I really appreciate about Wesley is that he is a Star Trek nerd. Like he is like, oh my mm. god, the thrusters, and you're like, okay, whoa, like you are, get out of my ship. Like this is like you're annoying, but like he he is the the person. Who oh, is the 100%. Star, who's the Trekkie All of us nerd. would be doing that shit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I can see the captain's here. Fuck yeah. You know, I think that's, I think that's what he, the, the role that he gets to play. But I do think that's a, a sort of a cautionary tale for any writer who wants to put a child on a show. Like, you need to nail a child's voice. Otherwise, they're going to be the, your worst character. And that happens with Wesley a lot, where he ends up being a really, like, annoying character because the writers maybe don't like kids <laughs> and are putting a kid in, but, like, don't know how to write children. Yeah. I think one of the things that maybe could have helped was their original conception was that it was going to be Leslie Crusher. It was going to be a 14-year-old girl, and they were going to talk about some of the issues that 14-year-old girls face in life. That would have been so great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, would wow. have, it would have actually been better than Boy Genius meets Curmudgeonly yeah. Captain and ends up flying the ship a whole bunch. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually saying that, like, in two years, he's going to be, like, a, an officer on the ship for no reason. Right. And, and I think... 
I mean, you look at Jake Sisko and Nog, I don't think they're the most brilliantly written children on television by any means, but I didn't hate them. Like, I didn't despise Jake every time he showed up on the screen. I was like, ah, stop. I despised, I despised Jake more than Wesley. I'll put it that way. Get I out. I really like Jake either. <laughs> <laughs> I think they could have I'm been really on the show. Solid, Nog is also like a 27-year-old playing a, a, a child. Right. Right. Obey <laughs> me! Obey me! I need a fart alien to like take over the show again. Uh, anyway. I really like Nog, but yeah, yeah. Moving along, we'll talk about them when we get to... when we Next get week. to Yeah, exactly. Uh, and um, let's... Let, I, I'm curious now, though, about the story there are mm. some there are some notes about in the notes funny how that happens <laughs> he's reading the uh, notes now folks right <laughs> there, there are some points about the amount of plots mm -hmm. within this script and that was something i noticed i i had a note note in my notes that said we are at the 30 minute mark and nothing has happened yes <laughs> and, um, and that's about when like the actual episode starts in my mind. But anyway, uh, what were y'all your thoughts about the various plots written in here? I will say I, I was... think it's yeah I think it's really ambitious. I think this, this this episode is ambitious. Is what I wrote down as like my number one like Meh, it's ambitious. Go ahead, Rudy. I'm sorry. I, I... I didn't mind not having huge things happen in the first 30 minutes. There was a lot of anticipation and fear for me. Well, not for me, but in, in following the crew. And, you know, there's almost like um, a last-ditch effort to to save or, or to protect humanity's expansion when you're going into the first 30 minutes or so, right? Um, so, I mean, if, if you connect it with, like, Discoveries, some of the Discovery Season 3 episodes where they introduce... Um, uh, the the antagonists and there's stuff happening on on books planet and and there there's there's all kinds of things happening. I, that was more confusing for me than than the way the plot was stitched in over here. Uh, I I felt it it flowed okay. Um, but again, I am I am super biased by this episode. <laughs> I've watched it like at different stages of my life. So mm -hmm. maybe maybe when I go back and think about it, um. You I mean, point there. It, that is fair. Like, at least I feel like there, uh, there's less opportunity for confusion for sure in this episode than there are in like some of Discovery's mm -hmm. plot lines. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely correct on that. Uh, I, for for me, it's just, um, I, I mean, it it definitely feels like an episode that they, that they just stuffed thirty minutes yes. in into. I I thought that you were going to say it was going to be the all the docking sequence uh, that was the thirty <laughs> extra minutes, but more the, docking. Um, more docking. <laughs> But you, like d definitely the the whole like chasing scene yeah. with with Q and like so the stupid. weird like force field thing like that 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 went on w far too long for me and I yes. um I, I, I don't know I but I, I again I I do like the kind of like what Emily talked to at the uh, uh, earlier was like the the whole framing of the episode and like therefore of the whole series with the way we end it it just um. The idea that we're we're supposed to be seeing humanity at its best, like try like going through difficult things, trying to figure out like how do we solve these problems, mm -hmm. um, it 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 made it more compelling than I felt the episode should have been. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so like I so it's a sort of thing like even though I was bored at several times wa watching this episode, I was still um, I I liked it a lot more than I was expecting uh, after having not seen it in a while. Um, so yeah, I'll say that I found 
a new appreciation for the way they characterized Q um, that I maybe hadn't picked up on until I watched it this time. Um, so Q comes across so antagonistic in the mm-hmm. way it starts. But I really think that Q actually really likes Picard or and or humanity and wants to show how great they actually are from the very beginning. But he doesn't want no, no, here's the here's what I'm here's what I mean. Because he totally the reason they succeed and he's able to pass the, he doesn't pass judgment on them in the way he originally says he's going to is because he gives them a hand. Like he doesn't they they would not have they would have utterly failed the whole Farpoint um whatever had Q not intervened because they were absolutely ready to start shooting that ship. Like they did yeah, not catch yeah. on at all that there was something like they kept talking about there's something strange about this this station, mm-hmm. but they weren't really paying attention to it in the way they needed to. And it wasn't until Q's like, interesting, why are you getting ready to fire on that ship? Like I, I just felt like mm-hmm. Q gave them a big he gave them a big hand up in that scene. I never because saw he that. wanted them to succeed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I never saw that before, but I can now see that they hesitated because he appeared, and mm-hmm. maybe they have they would have been more. Um, I think know, they were going to be way. They were positioned in, to be yes, yeah, more aggressive. I think more decisive to execute and defend. And, and, and since they were they, like they already had that sort of framing of like the judgment is like that we're not a savage race. They're probably like uh, anxious the whole time uh, going into this of like go against our our other our um usual notions of maybe attacking I so don't know. here so he, here, here's my here's my concern and I, I i hear what you're saying and i do appreciate it and like I, I do actually really like q as well as a character i think he's fascinating so i'm not like i'm not like anti-q in any way shape or form but i the the problem with this episode is that there are like five episodes in one episode like they're different like a bunch of different stories and some of them are necessary and some of them aren't and the problem with this episode is that effectively the q part of this episode isn't necessary to the rest of this episode right like q shows up at the very beginning that he has this weird back and forth with captain picard this really needless chase scene for no real reason. You're right, like the first half hour of this episode like doesn't really mean anything. And then periodically through the episode, he shows up and is like, hey, you're passing this test yet? You have so little time to pass this test. You really need to hurry up so you can pass my test and like get things like get this moving, get it get it going. So he creates a sense of urgency that doesn't wouldn't already exist anyway. And then he would be like, Okay, well, uh, you know, you don't kill anybody, don't be bad, but pass my test. And so then he creates this urgency, and then everyone's like, "Well, fuck, we have to we have to solve this problem so we can solve this other problem." And then, at a moment where they're figuring out, like they are ready, readying the torpedoes, but they're also think, talking about other options. He's like, "By the way, let me tell you about this because I totally want to save you." He has no motivation. He has no motivation to appear in this episode. He has no motivation to continue to be in this episode. And I like him, and I like the stories. I just don't understand why he's in this episode at all. And so if we're like, oh, but like the like secretly he really likes Picard. I think it's because he the the two actors work really well together and like they made a compelling relationship. But like, there is no reason that Q is in this episode. And so I don't I don't like that part of this episode, even though I do love the synchronicity of the two different bookends of the of the finale. I think the finale is incredible, and I agree that it retroactively does improve this first episode. But like. This episode is packed for no reason, and the thing that it's packed with is Q, and Q does nothing 
because he creates a circumstance. He creates, he like doesn't even create a circumstance because they're already going to Farpoint. So he shows up and is like, I'm going to test you. Go to Farpoint. We're like, I was already fucking going to Farpoint. And he's like, hurry up and, f- and pass my test. And they create this thing, this situation. Like, if you took Q out of the episode, the story would be the same. And you don't have any reason that Q even shows up to begin with. There's no well, actual motivation. He shows well, yeah. up looking like Baron Harkonnen in the trial scene for no reason. It, does, it doesn't make any sense. And so, like, I... Hey. I hear what you're saying, but I just don't agree. <laughs> Emily, you, you wanted to jump in real quick? Well, I think there are actually two things that Q... Well, I, I mean, I think Q helps them, and that's why they don't destroy the other ship that comes by him anyway. <laughs> but I think that Q also is one of the few people that appreciates the counselor's abilities, even though they wrote her character really badly. I can't remember what his line is, but he says something that shows that he recognizes that the counselor is actually really helpful, and she's Yeah, it says something like things. she's got a hitch, good head right. on her shoulders or something right. like that. And he makes a comment about Riker being exceptional. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, this is kind of a tangent, but Riker is the, Riker treats Data better than any other character in this episode. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I just was really appreciative of that because they, and they also wrote Data as though he's never heard a joke. I'm sorry. He went to Starfleet Academy, you know, like, I mean, he did all, (laughs) he served on other ships and he's never heard a joke, but I get the feeling that everyone else has kind of looked at data as though he's annoying and they just kind of put, Oh, well, Mm -hmm. he's this weird computer thing. And Riker doesn't look at him that way at all. He like appreciates what data is offering. And he's like, no, don't, don't change that. Like who you are is great. Anyway. So I just Mm -hmm. thought that was fantastic. I I agree. I I think one of the things that really, that from a writing standpoint, what sticks out to me about the Q stuff is that we can see all those things about these characters that we are learning about without Q being like, your powers are helpful or like you're an intelligent and fascinating person. You know what I mean? Like, I think while I do like Q and I think he was a fascinating character, I don't like Q in this episode because he doesn't actually add to the episode realistically. Like, well, I think, I think th- part of it is thing. how much we think you has control over the sequence of events and he already has precognition of what's going to happen. Right. Like he is potentially omniscient, all knowing there's no way to argue that the second alien being wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Q's direction or not. He speeds things up. He wants things to. He wants. He wants these guys to take a decision in 24 hours. But also, if like, that second alien being doesn't show up, they're gonna take a week to figure out or a month to figure out what's going on there. You never like, know. Yeah, I hear you. And, and but like also like why? Why does he give a shit? Like why is Q there? Why? Like he well, he, he says yeah. things like I want to test humanity, but like. Why? I have a I have a really bad example, but why do kids use magnifying glasses to burn ants? I mean, Q's not doing that, but people just I think have... what, what we're missing is sort of like the politics of the Q continuum. And I think mm. we get into that a little bit later on. I can't honestly remember the, the specifics of it, but I think if, if I'm remembering part of it correctly, I mean, Stagnating. Q... What's that? Like the Q is stagnating and like the continuum is stagnating or something like that. Is that what you're trying to say? And uh, so, yeah, so is he, like, out looking for, for like, inspiration, looking mm. for help? Like, you know, so so he does have a motivation, but obviously we don't learn that for many years which after I think, this episode. Which I, I think is the issue with this pilot is that because there are so many stories in this pilot, mm. they don't have room to breathe and be their own full story. And so, like, mm. if we're taking this pilot on the merit of just being the pilot and not having the backstory that we learn later, Q has no motivation to be there. And we don't, if we, because we, we don't spend really any time with Q besides the Dutch angle 
courtroom with him like floating in on a on like a a, a chair riser <laughs> and like it, you know like he, he we we don't have any time with him then it doesn't make any sense that he's there it doesn't make any sense that he's interacting with the crew we don't understand anything about why he's there and therefore his interaction with the crew just feels like it's, it's it's not even it's not even like a like amoral like the Joker is amoral. It's like there's you have literally no benefit to you for being here. So why are you here? You know what I mean? I mean I I think that it's it's one of those things where there's a I feel like there are other pilots where a character shows up and we learn about their story later. I get the point you're what? making because I mean literally his story was added later to but add I feel thirty like other, minutes other to this. Other pilots also not being full and... doesn't make this pilot better. You know what I mean? Like. This is, this, if we're talking about story, I, I think it's a valid thing to introduce a character and then and then doing like their 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 backstory later. I think that the thing that we're struggling with is that it, it's it was two stories mashed together. I think we are uh, at a good point here to take a quick break. So let's do that. And then we'll come back with uh, more stuff about this episode. Your senior officers are always in full control. No, they're not. They mess up all the time. Like whenever Q shows up. Voila! Damn you, Q! Good luck solving my little puzzle, Bizami. Tell me now, can you prove that humanity is worth saving? I think not. <laughs> well, he clearly wants us to play something. It's soccer. Okay. Oh! What's humanity all about? It's puzzle time. It's puzzle time. Uh, Any ideas? Anybody? Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We've been talking about stuff in the story and writing that we were not huge fans of. Um, And I just have one other thing I want to ask you all to touch on, which is there was some, there was a point here about indulgent and fan serving. And I'm going to ask you all to be quick about it and tell me why you all didn't like that. I think anytime, I think th- th- this episode falls into a lot of the tra- traps that Trek in the future also will fall into of being like, hey, get what we did there. See what we did. See the thing that we, you like that thing that we did, which we, I mean, there's the bones thing for sure. Why? Why, why was, was bones he here? There? I don't I, understand. Like, I, I have no honestly idea. don't understand Also, like, why. why is he Foghorn Leghorn now? Why is he like drinking? He was like, the worst. <laughs> like, He's so... Emily was like drinking yeah. mint juleps on the porch situation on the veranda. Like, what the, what the fuck are you doing there? And it's like, it's purely because of fan service. So this whole extra five minutes and like that, there's that kind of stuff where it seems really self-indulgent at its worst. You was know? he with Data? I was trying to remember yeah. who he was even with. But I calling mean, Data boy, I mean, it just, it was so gross. Like, so weird. Yeah. yeah, I did not like that at all. So Bones and, has never been that Southern, ever. <laughs> in his life. That was a Gene Roddenberry, DeForest Kelly personal agreement that led to that scene being added. And I bet a little bit of that was like, oh, we need a three more minutes and it added nothing. Like that yeah. scene also, no like the, the previous scene is Riker showing up on the bridge and asking Worf, Where's, Where's Data? Data? <laughs> he's he's well, like escorting an admiral to the USS Hood, which again has no point in the entire story. The right. Hood the, the, gets referenced one other time. Like, like, there's was, something flying was, in. Was Is the it the Hood? There the no. Entire time was he there when the saucer like was? I don't understand <laughs> what the fuck yeah. any of that was, and it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's move on to talking a little bit about the production of this episode uh, beyond the story and the writing necessarily. I thought it was really interesting that the first shot mm-hmm. of this episode is a bunch of credits and music. Like yeah. they take an extraordinarily long time to get mm-hmm. to the Star Trek, 
Um, which I wasn't, I, I don't know, like, whether there were just some contractual obligations there or what, but, like, it's it's a beautiful first shot of Picard, you know, the, the ship goes in and you zoom in <laughs> zoom on the captain in, like of the shadows. Chiseled. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's it's a beautiful kind of cinematic shot. I just don't know why it wasn't, like, right after the music ended, or even why it wasn't before the credits. Um yeah. But I would, I would, what I think if it was it, what seemed to be interesting about this this episode is that it was really because obviously this is the first episode of TNG, which is the first Star Trek post um, the original series. Like it, it was trying to sort of meet that middle ground of like, hey, this is the Trek that you remember, but also it's like newer, cooler, sexier kind of stuff. And so I think like that opening credit of just being like, I'm gonna stare into space and hear all the 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 credits that could just go over action. It seems to be really like 50s and 60s to me. And did not seem to, to fit with the rest of the show. So I think that mm-hmm. there's there's some elements there that might just be like, this is a Star Trek show. And on Star Trek, we saw this stuff. But you're absolutely right that it, it was like filler that didn't need to be there. You could have absolutely just zoomed the, in on the Enterprise and then zoomed in on Picard and haven't like just jumped right into the whole thing. The over-index on the whole emptiness or background of Space Pit, like you see a lot of shots with... Picard and Deanna where there's just space behind them right there's no like ship hull or anything so maybe they're just trying to give that spacey feeling Um, I don't know I I got that sense even on the bridge where there just seemed to be like this big room with nobody in it and it just (laughs) it was shot in a way that emphasized the gaps Mm -hmm. not you know with with that it was it was visual but the I think the audio was a huge Mm -hmm. part of that too where I don't know if you noticed but the like the ambient engine noise is not there. Um, you do have like the beeping of the sensors kind of like you did in the original series but that like (laughs) soothing hum that you get later in next generation Mm -hmm. wasn't there and so it makes it sound really empty Mm -hmm. well and with the sound design there's a scene where uh picard Riker, and troy are walking it's when Riker and troy first meet and and they have that awkward moment yeah. Uh, well, not first meet in their characters, but in the yeah. episode. In a turbo lift. Yeah. Or they're getting ready. So yeah. Picard yeah. walks into the turbo lift and the line he says comes across as being far away from the mic. There's another mm-hmm. moment later where one of the characters on the security station, I forget exactly when it's in my notes, but I'm not going to waste the time to go there. Um, there's a character at the security station, one of the background actors who says a line. And again, it comes across as being far away from the boom mm-hmm. mic. So I think that audio design just in general had a, a few issues, but Moving on to the the sets, the ship, I mean, this is now a whole new world, right? Like it's it's cream colored. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the uh this it's definitely not the Star Trek of the 60s, but it's also not necessarily the the Enterprise of the movies, which is grayer, sometimes mm-hmm. a little darker and grimier. This is brightly lit, there's carpet everywhere. I would imagine it's that very they're, beige. Right, it's very <laughs> beige. I would imagine they're like commodes have those like you know the commode what? lid has you the carpet commodes, on man. it. <laughs> Every right. Time. <laughs> right. It, it, it. They have. They have the carpet that goes on top of the toilet too. Let's put it that way in this ship. Um, what what do y'all think of the sets? It, it, it reminded me a little bit of like Smart House. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, you can find data if you just ask the ship where to go. You see, it's like it's a little bit like MTV Cribs circa 1987, where like everything's automated and like 
I don't know. Follow the lights and it will show you where to go. Yeah. I felt like it was a it was a yacht or oh, a cruise totally. ship. Right. Cru- you know, it has that feel like, you know, cruise ship, love boat in space. It also seemed kind of like it, like the Enterprise could get really annoying. And we're like, if you just turn right, you know, the breaker's like, okay, thank you. Stop it. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, the computer had a lot more personality in this episode than yeah. later in the series. And how does the first officer, commanding officer, I'm sorry, um, commander to be not know Neither, mm-hmm. neither him or Picard had ever operated this class of well, ship they before. Just schmoozed their way to get those, yeah, so those like assignments. Yeah, so they have like right, two right. really promising officers, like officers, but they don't actually aren't familiar with the ship at all. It's like the other engineers and the other crew who seem to be more familiar, which seems well, and and a but, lot. You, but they they weren't even familiar with the well. Riker wasn't that the holodeck exists, which is like it, <laughs> right. it's a little like yeah. you you would read the schematics, dude. Like at some point, someone would be like, "And the ship is holodecks, like you know, no toilets <laughs> yeah. but holodecks." And you know, <laughs> Riker would be like, "Why aren't there any toilets?" But anyway, that's what the is other it with point. you in toilets, man? I'm like I'm genuinely curious. I want that know, to address it, of, damn it. <laughs> engineering <laughs> marvel in space. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of holodecks, though, I did find it a nice. They had a nice callback at the end of the episode, so they kind of explained the holodeck technology earlier in the episode, mm-hmm. and they do a callback to it with what the space, mm-hmm. what Farpoint mm-hmm. is doing. You mm-hmm. know, that yeah. being is able to uh, transfer energy into matter, and mm-hmm. it was so. I was like, oh hey, look at that! They kind of set the stage earlier, so that mm-hmm. was you know nice. Sh- that was a shout out to some decent writing at that moment. But. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I think they succeeded in making the ship kind of a sci-fi, interesting, uh, futuristic uh, place that we want to see more of. Mm-hmm. Uh, except maybe the reclining uh, bridge stations, which they did they get rid of later. They changed mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, everyone's getting real comfortable on the bridge. But hey, um, quick shout out. You'll mention the scene where Riker's getting pointed to Data. That lady who directs him totally stares at his butt as he walks the away the entire time. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's like it's the beginning of this. This what I, I was actually we were just talking about this yesterday. Like this very puzzling thing with with TNG where everyone's like, Riker's totally hot, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know that anybody anybody's good at talking to anybody that they're attracted to on this show. Like everyone's like, I'm uncomfortable now because I like you, and Riker is no different. But everyone's like, oh, what a hot piece of ass that William Riker is. Let's watch him play his trombone a little bit more. Like I don't get it. I don't understand. But he's like the James Bond of this of this show, you know. He's well, James Bond of this show. M- m- maybe it has to do with the fact that the they have new Starfleet uniforms from the movies. These are no longer the the definitely not again the '60s multicolored jammies, but they're also not the the you know uh, baggy red outfits with the turtlenecks anymore. Is we it have Lower Decks this... that talks about like how how the new ep- new uniforms like cup their butt? Is that something that Lower Decks does? About, I... Don't remember, don't remember that reference, okay. but, could. but totally, but the, totally believe it. Yeah, they have onesies, right? Like these are these new uniforms for the pilot for for mm-hmm. TNG were famously onesies. Very difficult to get in and out of even if you needed to use the restroom. They did have the scans, which we were uh, in the notes at least was mentioned the inclusivity. Yeah. One, the, the the I believe it's the first or the second scene right after we see Picard. He's walking through engineering, and you have a man in a scan right away. So that's mm-hmm. that's pretty neat. But what y'all think about the uniform design here? Uh, and try not to reference the the later modification and compare. But w- tr- try to st- try to stick to just these guys. What y'all think about the new uniforms? I honestly uh, never uh, recognize uh, no, notice uniforms. So I'm going to back out of this one. <laughs> I, I never. Noticed. I just want to know why why do scants exist at all? You know, just like leaving aside the you know whether it's men or women wearing them, but like why why? Breeze. <laughs> 
breeze. Well, I just don't understand the whole... I don't know why they ever thought it was a good idea to design it without a collar. Like, it just doesn't... Like, it it mm-hmm. looks so informal. Like, that's... Yeah. You know, and, it's, and that's not really... When you're serving on a starship, that's not an informal thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it just... this The uniforms don't seem very formal. Well, I have I, I have this problem when Wes, Wesley Crusher's dad shows up and they have the 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 movie uniforms, the red jackets mm-hmm. without the turtlenecks. I hate that. That is my mm-hmm. single least favorite uniform in all of Star Trek. Okay, no motion picture, but uh, the the like weird like transitional uniforms where they get rid of the turtleneck inexplicably is so stupid. Uh, but yes, Emily, everything. It is this whole crew would be kicked out of the golf club. They would not be wearing their college shirts. <laughs> I, I think I think it's interesting. So <laughs> I think Riker would agree with that too. I think what's really cool about like his like, his introduction as a character is like when Jordy comes up and is just like gonna informally give him like a like a heads up, like, hey, this this thing is happening. Like Riker makes him stand <laughs> at attention, which like seems in to go jammies. against a li- his, his, his cute little <laughs> informal jammies. Um but it seems to like go against what a lot of people who are in Starfleet like are doing now which might be like you know some like certain tastes are like oh, they're gonna make it informal and cool and casual and Riker's like fuck no you will stand at attention and we will you know I think it's just interesting mm-hmm. well Riker has those episodes later on where he's kind of a hard ass and I can't remember exactly now but I've watched with, one where um, with Roe he's really yes. he doesn't he yes. doesn't want her to wear her um earring yeah, yeah. Yep, yep 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 so so um i i agree that the uniforms are kind of a, like they look a little bit too jammy like uh like you know you're ready to get into bed and i don't know what they could have well actually i do because they did it later i know what they could have done to improve mm-hmm. them <laughs> but, well, i think it? it was also really uh, they also said it was really uncomfortable like it made the actors kind of hunch down because yeah. it was a onesie mm. and so they were having lots of back problems because <laughs> of the costume so that's another reason oh, they no. changed it i i did i should say that i do enjoy that they were less bright and they the colors were a little bit less muted. I think that design change was good without going into the whole, like, everyone's wearing beige now. Like, the mo- motion picture, for some reason, thought that that was a good idea. Which, by the way, the motion picture, the guy who designed the costumes for it also hated that. So, hmm. anyway. Um, Here's the thing I hated. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> right? This it interestingly, made me money for this. Right? Uh, interestingly, this is the only episode where Tasha Yar wears a scant. She wears one in the final scene when Picard says engage for the first time. Uh, she is wearing a scant. And uh, also Deanna Troy will switch from this scant to one of her ver- various outfits that happens until season six when she wears a uniform finally again because of Captain Jellicle. Mm-hmm. And uh, other little trivia notes about this episode that I can think of production-wise. Nope, I think I've got through all of them. So any other production things that y'all want to talk about real quick before we move on? I just want to point out, and this is like this is something we we noticed just on uh, Memory Alpha, but they do a side by side comparison of um, different shots of the original versus the remastered version, mm-hmm. and some of them are really funny. But my favorite one is when they made sure that we knew that the jellyfish are straight. <laughs> Which is incredible. If, so it re, in the remastered version, it oh. seems clearer that one is pink and one is blue. <laughs> oh, okay. And it's just like, this is the lady one. This is the man one. I, I didn't notice that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I didn't notice Did that you... either until I, until I saw it. We, we, so we looked, at, looked at it in Memory Alpha. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, and apparently that earned. Um, so I don't know if you all watched on <laughs> whoever watched it on Netflix. They have the rating, you know, because of fear and sex. 
And I was like, is this the sex? Like the jellyfish <laughs> touching? Like that's that apparently got a shout out as sex on on Netflix. So Yeah, that was the most absurd thing. Like we have to see these two jellyfish touching because otherwise we wouldn't know that they're friends. Like what? <laughs> but yes, the thing that you're pointing out to Diana is color smudging, which is yes. also if if you out there listener have not watched this since it was on SD, which uh, by the way, Will Riker has only watched this episode on SD as he does during this episode. <laughs> the footage of Q that he watches and Picard's like, show him the TV, put on Netflix, well, it's, it's let's like, catch it's him like up. It's in the rain, it's like watching like an old movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it is It is SD footage. For some reason in the remaster, they did not replace that with HD footage. Apparently the cameras and the Next Generation bridge, which also, by the way, did y'all notice that during that scene with Q on the bridge, the first scene, there's a commercial break and when we come back, Picard has... He's sitting... <laughs> Well, yes, but he also has a captain's log, and it's like, Q, just wait a minute, please. Uh, captain's log. We have been accosted by a being. Uh, just, no, one sec, please, Q. Excuse me, this is very important. The viewers are going to come back, and they need to know what's happening. And, like, it's like, where'd you find the time for this log? Like, it, it, also, if you recorded it later, why do you, like, okay, you know, doing, like, a dramatic reading? Okay, watch the first recording, then listen to log number two, and then come back, watch the next one, and, you know, like... It just didn't I make love it your, anyway. I love your like Patrick Stewart like Sean Connery impression. impression. It's incredible, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, but anyway, so so that was the thing I also noticed along with the SD footage of of. But when they switched to from SD to the remastered version, uh, which is HD, and you viewer who have not watched this since the eighties, you will notice that a lot of color smudging is fixed, which is why the aliens now are blue and pink rather than both looking kind of like a mix of the two. Also, the Bandy City, instead of looking like a bunch of little brown smudges, now has structures. Mm -hmm. And Farpoint Station also looks considerably different. Um, so there's there's a lot of like really important like switches that happen. I mean, it's not a switch; it's just that you're seeing things more clearly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So and so even even with the HD remaster, I do want to say that one thing I found pretty funny is that like throughout the episode. They're talking about Farpoint Station as this like super advanced station that like the Federation is interested in right. acquiring their like building technology and it looks like a medieval dungeon. Yeah. I mean, it does not <laughs> look very impressive. <laughs> Let's check yeah. about the mall, in which case the mall is incredible. I mean, the mall impressive. is good. It's got like, you know, it gives you all the, the silk uh, uh, colors Paisley you want. Paisley silks and you the, need. The fruit so, you want to eat and all that. It's the, energy, if, and it's the energy efficiency, which they keep talking about in some weird way. Like, if, we if don't you, know what that means, right? It's just like... It's weird. It, it, very early in the episode, they make a point that that Grabtar, whatever his name is... <laughs> Um, his, his Groppler Groppler Zord his office is actually in the old city so he's in that little like <laughs> reckoning city next why to the why would station. he do that though exactly <laughs> which right? doesn't make sense because isn't doesn't the bowl of apples appear Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Continuity error. Interesting. It is. It is. I, I noticed all of this only because I'd gone and read the Memory Alpha article uh, earlier before watching, and I was like, I was trying to. I so they they were like the Bandy City looks clearer, and I was like, the what? Great. The where? I don't remember <laughs> there being a city. Oh, look at that! It's clearer now. Mm -hmm. um, so, right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let us move on to strange new ratings who's going to stick their neck out and give this episode a rating by the way adam if your dear listener has noticed is no longer here so he had to leave at the break here's a couple of words he said about that uh this one gets a uh 
A, a seven. It's surprisingly good despite being quite boring. All right. Who else wants to wants to now go and rate this episode? I'll I jump will... in. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I I'm gonna go seven point five mm-hmm. on this one. Um I like this better than I was expecting mm-hmm. to, honestly. I, I've sort of avoided watching this episode for probably like half a decade now because I didn't want to kind of ruin the happy memories that I had of it. And I'm I'm happy to say that like actually it was totally doable to go back and watch this and uh enjoy it. Um not to like pull us back into the the controversy about Q and Q's inclusion in this episode, mm-hmm. but I I will say you know as others have pointed out I love the framing device that the series begins mm-hmm. and ends with Q I think that's just amazing, and I think that his inclusion in this episode, even though it's not very well explained, what it does do is it tells us what this show is about. Mm. So even when Q is not there this is always the scenario that they're mm-hmm. in. Like they are always representing humanity and it's always mm-hmm. about like, how do humans solve these problems in ways that represent sort of like the best aspects of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like, I mean, it's a little heavy handed, but I like that they set that up explicitly in the, in the first episode here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a 3.5. Um, I appreciate out of five or out out of five out of five, yeah. out of five. yeah i because i always i started out doing out of five so i'm trying to be for you know you gotta keep notch on his toes so, right? you know um so 3.5 out of five uh because i appreciate like i don't think it's like amazing like you know i mean there are lots way better episodes of mm-hmm. next generation than this one but i appreciate um the efforts to do a little better for women and to use more inclusive language and you know, so I appreciate all of that. And also, I really like that Jordy says censors. It's incredible. Yes. So good. So so good. They have that in Lower Decks, right? There's that censors. Yeah. They say censors all the time. It's like a point of time. They just say censors. It's, it's a, but it makes me wonder. And I need. I don't know this for a fact. I, I don't know if this is true. But it, does Le, was Lavar Burton a Star Trek fan before? Did he know? I think he Cause was. That's, yeah. Because I was saying, I feel like that was kind of a little nod to uh, Leonard Nimoy by mm. saying censors. You know. So I just appreciated that. Totally. That's a better. That was a better callback to the original series than Bones being back there. Yes. So. <sighs> <laughs> I will say that I, I agree. I agree basically with everybody um, in the, the rating. I will say the seven out of seven out of seven out of ten. Um, I don't remember the last time I saw this episode. It was not within waking memory of me for me. So like I was I was probably really really young when I first saw it, um, and so I was expecting way worse. And I was actually really impressed with certain like like I say sometimes it's like there's writing and then there's writing. And so, like, the story writing didn't love, had some problems with it, but ultimately, like, I enjoyed watching the episode, um, and a lot of that just comes down to the characterization and how much time we spent with every character and, like, learning about them. Um, and also, I think that what's really cool about this pilot is that it has so much potential. There's so many different places that you could go with these characters, and so as, like, the first episode of a series, like, I for sure would continue to watch it to see what happens and see what else I can learn. So, I'm into it. I like it, and I appreciate what Max was saying about, like, the framing device of the whole series being through that lens of like what good is humanity and how can we be better examples of humanity. Like it's that. puzzle time. It's puzzle time. What's humanity all about? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will go ahead and give it, I'll go out on a limb here and I, I, I've already noted that I'm super biased about this episode and uh, uh, impressionable, impressionable about it. 
Um, I will go ahead and give it 8.5 randomly appearing apples out of 10. <laughs> um, it's, it's just, it's, I think both of you touched upon it. Um, Diana and, and Max, it's what it does as a pilot, um, to set up why one would watch Star Trek and be interested in watching what, you know, what the next episodes are all about. Um, you know, that, that intro sequence, the first 10 seconds as they, as they spin around earth and then go to moon and then go to Saturn and then go below the orbital plane. Um, that has been extremely impressionable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that theme, that tune, um, again, like I said, there's, <laughs> we've come a long way in certain aspects, right? Um, over the last 20, 30 years, but, um, it, it's, at that point, I clearly remember seeing this for the first time when I was a kid, and I really wanted to see what's happening next. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I, I should have jumped in earlier because I think I, I'm going to be controversial, and mm. I am going to give this a 5.5 on 10. I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's bad. I think as as far as pilots go, I was actually pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it and how how well it did set up. But I think, you know, for many of the concerns with the plot, and I think that because it's just all set up, I, I didn't enjoy the actual episode storyline mm-hmm. myself. Like, I just didn't... Fi- if they had just been like, you know what, we hate grapplers on, let's get out of here, engage, like... I would have been like, okay, all right, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, nobody liked that guy anyway, and the space model is a shit idea. Uh, let's just go uh, and leave that fabric with the gold trim behind and take some of those apples because they're delicious. Like, it just, I, I never cared about anything that happened within beyond the characterization mm-hmm. and beyond the setup. So totally. because of that, I have to go low. I apologize. I know y'all liked it and it makes me feel bad. And so I'm going, but I'm going to stick to my rating and, and do that. So one of the things I, I, I would agree with that, I, I wonder if like maybe for pilot episodes, we need to have slightly different like criteria than we would for like a regular like mid season episode. You know what I mean? Like, cause I, I definitely rated it higher than I would if it was like a middle of the fifth season episode, but as a pilot episode, I'm like, that was awesome. So like, you know what I mean? We have had many discussions about whether our rating criteria should have like two ratings, three ratings, (laughs) different stuff. Like I I, I believe, I forget exactly what we were talking about when we started the series, but I remember before we started recording, I asked a question about, are we rating it this way or that way? And like Mm -hmm. the point I have come up to with with rating based on my discussions with some of you, some or all of you has been do whatever you want. Yes, Everything's made up of the points don't really matter. They really don't. You mean you can't control us right <laughs> like the, the the ghost of gene roddenberry isn't gonna come into my spreadsheet and be like he did what doesn't he understand he was the most important character in the entire series don't right you know? like i i would be surprised if a single member of any sort of star trek production cast or anything ever listened to a single episode that we make here so uh <laughs> sorry to burst your bubbles but you know uh yeah, i was worried about rising the fans right uh but it, but it's so i i i'm not worried about the internal consistency we the the ratings you know do what your heart tells you each week uh 
and uh, let, let's let's go with that. So with that, uh, thank you, Diana. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Rudy. And thank you, Adam, who's no longer here, uh, for being here today. Thank you, Notch. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. Thank you also for your patience. Today we started recording a little late. My co-hosts were very gracious with their time. I do appreciate that very much. And thank you, Bill, wherever you are. Uh, hope you're enjoying. I actually know where you are. He, he's enjoying a great day in the park at the moment. And he, I know he's having a good time, so I don't need to wish that upon him. I know he is. So good, good for him. Uh, thank you, dear listener, for spending your time with us. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme our theme music. We very much appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thank you also to Grapplers, Gap, Grappler Zorn. Zorn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for having an interesting name that I needed to go to Memory Alpha like four times to look up. Because, you know, if he had a simpler, more memorable name, I wouldn't have noted all those interesting things about Memory on Memory Alpha. Because, you know, I had to go there and be like, what was that dude's name? A Grabtar Hammer? Uh, no, no, that was, that was Galaxy Quest. No, it was Grappler Zorn. Okay, so thanks everybody. See you in a week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.